Let us now open our Bibles as we pay attention this afternoon to Lord's Day 40 in the Sixth Commandment. Let us read from God's Word from the New Testament from two passages, one from the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, the verses 21 through 26, and then from the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 3, the verses 11 through 18. Reading first then from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 21 and reading to the end of verse 26. Hear then the word of our God. Here we have the sermon of the Lord Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so far from Matthew 5 and then turning to the first letter of John, chapter 3. Reading the verses 11 through 18. Beginning at verse 11 of chapter 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and who you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Congregation, this afternoon we will focus on the teaching of God's Word as the church has summarized it in Lord's Day 40. Lord's Day 40 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Commandment number 6 is what is being dealt with in this Lord's Day, and let's read together then the three questions and answers of Lord's Day 40. Here we confess together what does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore also the government bears the sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? 
No, when God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. And so far, the catechism. After the teaching of God's Word, let us respond in song singing together from hymn 50. Hymn 50, the stanzas 2, 3, and 4. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we look back at the last 100 years or so, we look back at a world in which oppressive regimes have murdered millions of their own people. That's millions of citizens killed by their own governments, communist Russia and China and Cambodia and North Korea. And then think of the millions which have been senselessly killed in conflicts between tribes. For example, tribes like the Hutu and the Tutsis in Rwanda. And think also of the genocides committed against such people as the Jews, the Armenians. Really, modern mankind's record with respect to the Sixth Commandment is, you could say, appalling. We're talking here about repeated mass murder. Unless we be smug in any way, let us look in our own backyard. How many thousands of unborn children have been aborted, that is, unlawfully killed here in Canada? Our federal government is one of only three governments in this world which continue to do absolutely nothing to protect the life of the unborn. And what about the passing of the May legislation by our parliament, our federal parliament, which has expanded euthanasia and the numbers dying in this way in our country have taken off. Check the stats. There's so much for protecting the life of the young, the old, the sick, and the handicapped. And then what about the recent rise in the number of excess deaths and serious illnesses which our government or federal government refuses to mention and investigate? Yes, as people turn their back on God, we see an increasing violation of the Sixth Commandment, increasing destruction of human life. We see it also in the increasing number of people who, who hurt themselves, who, who commit suicide. We also see it with those who are abused, and then those who suffer from extreme loneliness and despair. Indeed, our Western culture is a dying culture, a culture which in so many ways no longer promotes love for the life of our neighbor. And consider also something more subtle, closer to home, the video games so many guys play, loaded with mindless violence, and to think that this has no effect on them. 
And what about the music? The music of certain music groups, which scores of people listen to. And a recent study has shown again that those who, who listen to this kind of music are, are more likely to abuse alcohol or commit violent acts. And take a look in indigo. So many bookshelves filled with novels which have such dark and dreary content. And how much of this has affected us as believers? Really, how, you might ask, how pro-life are we when we make our choices with respect to our movies, our video games, our music, our books? How much are we really living in obedience to the Sixth Commandment? Now let us realize that the sweep, the sweep of this Sixth Commandment in our everyday life has actually been deeper and wider than what I've just mentioned. For let me also ask, what about dishonoring, hating, injuring, or killing our neighbor by our thoughts, words, and gestures? Yes, this hits closer to home, doesn't it? And there is more to this command, more than not just doing these kinds of things. There's also, you could say, the positive aspect of this commandment. Where are we, yes, indeed, in loving the life of our neighbor? Where are we in loving the life of one another here, but also those in the community around us, in showing, yes, patience and peace and gentleness and mercy and friendliness towards one another? And so this afternoon, let's look again at the call of our Lord God of life to each and every one of us. With this commandment, yes, we're called to be pro-life, to truly love our neighbor's life, and let us consider the reason why we have this call before us. Yes, let us also look at the breadth of this call, and let us consider our violation of this call. And in this way, may we be driven to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the one who was truly pro-life throughout his entire life here on earth, and yet who was put to death. Yes, he went this way so that we might be graciously forgiven and also graciously empowered to be truly pro-life to all those around us. And so let's hear God's word this afternoon as the church has summarized it in Lord's Day 40 under this theme. The Lord of life graciously empowers us to be pro-life. And we'll look first at the call to love our neighbor's life and then the second point being the perfect love of our neighbor's life. As this afternoon the focus is on the sixth commandment. With this commandment God says to us, you shall not kill or we would better say, you shall not murder. Now, there is more to this commandment than just not murdering someone. That is taking someone's life by shooting them or, or stabbing them. To go a little deeper with the words of Lord's Day 40, both you and I are also not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill the life of one another by our thoughts, by our words, by gestures, and much less by our deeds. Now, we all know those thoughts that we have sometimes, those thoughts of wishing that someone were dead. And those words we use sometimes, which seriously slam someone else, and, and those gestures with our fingers 
to those who really tick us off. This commandment seems fairly straightforward when I speak about these things. And I think we would all agree. We're not to murder. We're not to kill each other in any of these ways I just mentioned. But have you ever wondered why? Why is murder in all these ways just mentioned so wrong? When you ask people, everyone will probably agree that murder is wrong, but then they may well say, if our society is to function, if we are to feel safe, flourish as human beings, we can't just go around hurting, injuring each other willy-nilly. And this leads to another question. Who decides whether your life or my life is worth protecting, worth loving? Who's to say that your life being wrecked or snuffed out wouldn't make the world a better place? So all kinds of questions here, and this is why it's good that we turn to, to God's Word. In particular to Psalm 42. We sang at the beginning of the service Psalm 42 and as we sang there, our God is a God of life. After all, as you can read in the very beginning in Genesis 1, our God is the creator of all life. He is the source of all life. And what an abundance of life he created there in the very beginning. He made this whole world to swarm with all kinds of living creatures. He is the one who gave all the creatures of this world the breath of life. This world, this world was teeming with an incredible animal life, but also plant life from the very beginning. We still see evidence of that. Just look back at what grew in our, our flower beds and gardens and yards this past summer. And consider all the life that teems in the forests and the fields around us. And then there is also mankind. That's us. We're the crown of God's creation work. And what beautiful work God has also done with respect to ourselves. Yes, he took man, he took dust from the ground and, and formed man. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then as we can read there in Genesis 2, yes, man became a living being. And that's the life he gives to every one of us. There's nothing more beautiful than looking at newborn life. Just consider what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. For you formed my inmost thoughts, O God. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord. And the Apostle Paul confirms this in what we read in, in Acts 17 when he says, Yes, it is God. It is God who gives all men life and breath and everything. And so, yes, to disrespect human life really is to disrespect the Lord God, the creator of life, the giver of all life. Now, what separates our human life from other forms of life, be it animal life or plant life, is that God created us differently. He created us, as we know from Genesis 1, in his image, in his likeness. 
And this is yet another reason why God commands us not to murder, to unlawfully take the life or injure the life of another human being. Just turn for a moment to to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, Noah has come out of the ark. And if we look at verse 4 and 5, we'll begin reading at verse 5. We read, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. And then we're given the reason for God made man in his own image. So we're back to what we read in Genesis 1. So God is saying there in Genesis 9, yes, we may kill animals, we may shed their blood, but we may not kill, we may not shed the blood of man, for man is distinct from all these other creatures in that all mankind has been created in God's image. So of all the creatures, man is having a special place. He is a unique being. He is the representation of God. Notice what we read there in Genesis 9, that this is said after the fall into sin in paradise. Even after the fall, God still maintains that every human creature is made after his image. And so every human life is of great importance to God, and so it should be to each one of us. And thus we are called to love every human life. We're to respect every human being, for they have been created to reflect God's glory, created by God to worship him, to serve him, and so only, only God who gives life has the right to take life. And if you and I take the life of anyone, we forfeit our own life. So we read there in Genesis 9. And so let's be straight about this here. Every human being is in God's image. The unborn baby created in God's image. The handicapped child created in God's image. The dementia-ridden senior created in God's image. Every single human being at whatever stage of life he or she may be created in God's image. And so God has given to every human being the gift of life for a purpose so that he be able to live in communion with God in loving service of his Lord and Master, and also in communion in loving service of those around us. And when we dishonor, hate, injure, or kill our neighbor by our thoughts, words, or actions, we stop them from living in such wonderful communion and such loving service as we read it there in 1 John 3. This is the message we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another But when we dishonor, hate, injure, or kill our closest neighbors with our thoughts, with our words, our actions, yes, we attack the very fabric of that communion, our life together, of our community in which God created us to enjoy. 
Now we may wonder, where then did all those sins against God's command here not to, to murder, where did they begin? Well, we need to go back to the very beginning. We need to go back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. They ate of the tree of which God had so clearly commanded them, the day of you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And, and with the disobedience then of our first parents, death entered into this world. And thus we also see Adam and Eve were disobedient to the sixth commandment in that they did not really always love each other as they should have. You saw that right away when Adam blamed Eve for giving him of the fruit of the tree of which they were not to eat. And then when we look at their children, we look at Cain and Abel, we see a most horrible violation of this commandment. We get the first murder. And it started with, with Cain. Cain being angry with his brother Abel. And from there, one thing led to another. And eventually, Cain murdered his own brother Abel. And as a result, his brother Abel lay out there in the field dead. So much for obeying the sixth commandment. And as we read it there in 1 John 3, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, his brother Abel. And such murder of the life of others has continued ever since. Now we need to remember we live in a world where more and more the life of our neighbor, especially those most vulnerable, are under attack. Where people nowadays don't think anything of killing the unborn, the newly born, the handicapped, the ill, the elderly. They see the lives of these people as not really so valuable. In fact, they don't even often see these weak and vulnerable people as, as real people, as real persons. And you may wonder, where does this blatant disregard for the life of another human being come from? Well, beloved, we, we live in a world which no longer holds to the truth of God's Word. And instead, so many hold to a theory like the theory of evolution. And this theory, yes, it says that this universe and everything in it began with a big bang billions of years ago. And suddenly, out of nothing, life came into existence and this life supposedly evolved over millions of years from one form of life to another form of life. And eventually, out of animal life, we have the evolution into human life. And as a result of this theory, then we as human beings are nothing more than a higher form of animal life. And then you hear people say, yes, we're here, and but we're really nothing more than cosmic accidents or we hear that human beings are grown-up germs destined for annihilation. It was John Paul Sartre, the existentialist philosopher who defined man, yes, as a useless passion. And so the question is raised, who, who qualifies as a person worthy of life? Just being biologically human, supposedly, doesn't no, no longer qualify you. They say, if you want to qualify as human life worthy of respect and protection, they say you need to have intelligence, you need to have self-awareness, you need to have a sense of time, and so forth. 
scored too low on any of these points, and you don't qualify as a person, your merely biological life, you're a blob, and the implication is that your bodies are not really a part of your identity as persons, and so you need to have a certain mental level, and some don't quite reach that. They don't really then qualify. And this is the pessimistic view of the nature, the origin, significance of human life that we're dealing with this day. This is what we're bombarded with. We live in a world today which ports more value on sea turtle eggs than on a human embryo. We give more dignity to whales than to humanity. And as our culture abandons the conviction that all humans are created in God's image, our human rights, you can say, are up for grabs. Any category of human being is fair game to be considered subhuman and to be excluded or even eliminated. If human life doesn't matter simply and merely because it's created in God's image, then those in power will decide if a particular human life is worth, worth anything. And so you see in the past the Nazi propaganda dehumanized the Jews, calling them rats, the vermin of mankind, and then they murdered six million of them. And in the Red Terror, Lenin, the first communist leader of Russia, called whole categories of people, yes, he called them former persons, or more colorfully, bloodsuckers, vampires, parasites, and class enemies. And it made it easier for them to ship them off to, to the gulags or to shoot them. And in the 1994 Rwanda massacre, the Hutus were incited to violence by radio broadcasts from their government calling the Tutsis, yes, cockroaches that need to be exterminated. When we turn away from God's call to love our neighbor, to take good care of our neighbor, this is where we end up. We see also the results of this in our own city. We see the results in our own country. We have a horrific opioid crisis. We have record suicides, so many despair of life. After all, we're nothing more than a higher form of animal life. Human life is no longer respected. And you see it in every aspect of our culture. You see it in the horror movies, filled with senseless violence, with the constant destruction of human life. Now, maybe this all leaves us feeling somewhat pious. Maybe you're thinking, well, I've never killed anyone. I've never pulled the trigger on anyone. I've never used drugs, struggled with alcohol. I don't watch those kind of movies, Pastor John. And what about when you say, tell someone to drop dead, though? And what about when you roll our eyes when someone says something we don't particularly like? And what about when we give those people those looks that could kill? And what about running someone into the ground with our snide remarks? What about when we have no filter on our mouth? Or what about walking right by someone, refusing to acknowledge them, to even say hello or good day? And what about those envious thoughts we have of others? And what about when we are filled with anger and 
We want to lash out in frustration. And what about when we want revenge? We want to get even. Think of what sometimes happens at home. Kids, your brother or sister hits you, and you, you're going to get even. You hit back. They yell at you. You yell right back at them. When these things are mentioned, we are coming indeed then to the very root of murder, of sin against the sixth commandment. And our Lord Jesus was very clear about this when he gave his sermon there on the mount. As we read, the Lord Jesus spoke about all the commands of God. He also spoke about the sixth commandment. And the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day thought they were doing pretty good when they came to the sixth commandment. They could say, too, well, we don't murder anyone. We don't literally kill anyone. But as the Lord Jesus pointed out, this commandment is much deeper in meaning when we're angry with our brother, we break this commandment and deserve judgment. When we insult our brother, calling him a fool, we break this commandment and deserve judgment. When we refuse to be reconciled, to be at peace with our brother, we break this commandment, we deserve judgment. And so we see here the Lord Jesus teaches us the true meaning and depth of this commandment. This commandment speaks not only to illegal killing or murder, but also the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and that desire of revenge. Yes, as we confess here in this Lord's Day, indeed, sin against this commandment, the sin of, of murder, is more than just that outward act. It is a matter of our hearts. Oh, outward we may appear so often to be clean like the scribes and the Pharisees, but inwardly in their hearts, as we know, they were full of envy and hatred and anger, and they wanted to kill the Lord Jesus. And our hearts were often no different than they are. We time and again break this commandment. None of us is righteous. No, not one of us. But thankfully, beloved, thankfully, we have the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here was our Lord, who was one of us, who was truly a man and a righteous man. Here was one who truly loved all those around him. He was the one who showed, yes, patience and peace and gentleness and mercy and friendliness towards all throughout his entire life here on earth. And as he appeared there before Pontius Pilate, he was declared righteous, not once, not twice, but three times. Indeed, he was righteous. He was filled with that perfect love for his neighbor's life. And consider what love he showed that, and he laid down his life for his brothers and sisters, for all of us. So we read there in 1 John 3, and so you see, our Lord Jesus suffered so much for us. He was willing, yes, to accept the cursing, the beating, the striking, the mockery, the belittling, this pain throughout his entire life, but especially there at the end. And there at the end, he was killed. He was put to death on a cross so that we might have life, life forevermore in him. Yes, thanks to his death, we have, yes, the complete forgiveness of all our sins, also our sins against this commandment. 
and what abundant grace, what perfect love, what true righteousness we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Believe in him who forgives all our sins, all our shortcomings. Yes, we are reminded of his abundant grace, his forgiveness, the washing away of all our sins. When we see baptism, yes, remember your baptism. Yes, as certainly as water washes away dirt from your body, so certainly Christ's blood poured out there on the cross washes away all your sins and my sins also with respect to this commandment. And also remember, Jesus Christ is the one who rose from the dead. He rose to life. And he has ascended on high. And he is the author of life. He is the Lord of life. He came so that we might have life and we might have it abundantly. And having received such life, abundant life, life in every sense of the word, we may respond in thankful love, truly empowered by the Spirit to love the lives of those around us, doing what we can to love them fully, promoting not just their physical but also their spiritual, emotional, and social life and well-being of everyone around us. And beloved, when we are in Christ, when we are united to him in faith, we are also indeed then empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then we will want to show the fruit of the Spirit. And some of that fruit is mentioned here in, in this Lord's Day. There we read of how God commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then what is mentioned is that we need to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, friendliness towards them. And we show this towards those around us. We can live in life in communion with them. And so rather than being irritated and even angered by those around us, let us, by the Spirit, be filled with patience for those around us. This is how the Lord Jesus was ever full of patience to those around him. And rather than fighting with each other and provoking each other with our thoughts, with our words and our, our gestures, let us by the power of the Holy Spirit make every effort to live at peace with one another. Yes, peace in a world of brokenness and unrest. And rather than being rude to those around us, let us by the power of the Spirit be filled, yes, with gentleness towards one another. And not just to, to one another, but also to those who join us here, those who live next door to us, we work with. This is how the Lord Jesus was, ever full of gentleness and kindness and love to those around him. And rather than being hard to those around us in trying circumstances, let us be filled with the Spirit and so be filled with mercy towards them. This was how the Lord Jesus was, even dying for us sinners. Think of the incredible mercy he has shown for us. And even though the selfishness of our time is not helping us at all, let us by the Spirit so be empowered to show friendliness. And so let's not be left cold by our culture, but truly change 
being friendly to those who are not like us in one way or another. And so, yes, beloved, may we be graciously empowered by the Spirit to go in this new way, in the way of love. Yes, may the Spirit work in our hearts that we may be empowered to be pro-life in every possible way. It's only by faith in our Lord that the Spirit will lead us along the way of, of growing submission to this command. Yes, in that respect, may we all experience each day that heartfelt repentance and conversion, and that we turn from our sinful habits and we turn towards holy habits, earnestly striving to speak to each other, you could say, in a life-giving way, seeking us also to protect those whose lives are vulnerable, those whose lives these days are being endangered. Kid not yourself. May we be empowered by the gospel of God's grace. And may each one of us experience a heartfelt joy in God through Jesus Christ and have in our hearts then that, that love and delight work by the Spirit so that we may live pro-life in every way and every day. Amen.